Listeners, we would like to thank our supporters on Patreon. That is Nick, Justin, Matt, Teddy, Paul, Grace, Sam, Jory, Shelley, Tara, Rachel, Abby, Peter, the Reverends Langenstein, Annalise, and Ian. Thank you for your money. It helps make the show happen. If you would like to help make the show happen, you can join our supporters over at patreon.com slash WTHIAP. You also get access to a patron-only podcast feed, which has bonus content, which has been pretty busy over the past month. And you also get the patron-only podcast that Ian and I record, which is called Pillow Talk. And this week, we talk about record players. So tune in to understand why we do that, or if you've ever seen a record player, what that is. If you don't have the funds to financially support us right now, you can uh, tweet at Ethan for abandoning me for the Patreon read this month, or you can rate, review, and subscribe, share us on social media, or just keep listening, because that's good too. And now, here's the show. One, two, five, nine. Robin Breeze, servant leader, rector, reverend, deacon, elder, what the hell? Listeners, this week on the podcast, we have Sarah Agnew back with us to talk about how things have changed in terms of her ministry and uh, maybe a little bit about what it's like to be a Christian doing business with other Christians and all of those kind of, you know, nitty gritty details of ministry life. So Sarah, welcome back. Thanks, Joe. It's lovely to be back with you. Yeah. Do you want to give our listeners, those who have not listened from a year ago, a quick introduction to who you are and what you do? Sure. Uh, so I introduce myself as a storyteller, a poet and a minister in the Uniting Church in Australia, which is a Protestant tradition and it's drawn from Methodist, Presbyterian and Congregational churches. And we mm. just turned 46. So we're, you know, a young, youngish movement. We'd rather call ourselves a movement than a denomination, although, you know, mm. <laughs> language, semantics. Um, so, uh, storyteller, I am mostly, I learn by heart and tell the biblical stories. I do compose my own and tell those, um, but mostly I'm a biblical storyteller, uh, and I'm connected with the network of biblical storytellers and their scholars seminar. And so my area of scholarship is in biblical performance criticism and, um, how we, um, interpret the Bible by embodying it and performing it um, in in the community. Part of that uh, scholarly thing, I'm picking that up again lately. Uh, since I moved back to Adelaide, I've been teaching um, biblical scholarship at Uniting College for Leadership and Theology uh, here in Adelaide. And uh, I've been teaching Greek, biblical Greek this year, which is a Ooh. new thing for me. Um, I've taught Hebrew before, but uh, I'm getting back into the Greek, so that's fun. Uh, and a poet, I compose liturgies and poetry and publish those in books and all sorts of places. Uh, I'm, at the moment, I'm writing for uh, Words for Worship, which is published by Mediacom, which is sort of centred in the Uniting Church here. And minister, uh, I'm about to start a new placement uh, at Christchurch Uniting Church in Wavell, which is um, a suburb of Adelaide. And it's actually the church where I did my student placement 12 years ago. So it's um, kind of a return, but, you know, they've changed, I've changed. And it'll be a part-time placement. They're a really, they're quite a progressive congregation. Uh, they have a lot of people who have kind of not quite exiles, but they've 
found this congregation having come from all sorts of different traditions. Um, they have quite uh, a strong sacred and creative program and um, quite a program of um, forums and workshops and uh, conversations on justice issues like Indigenous justice and eco-justice uh, in particular. So uh, I'm looking forward to doing life with them for a season. Yeah, that, um, gosh, I'm thinking back to the church that I worked at at seminary in when, I was, when I was interning in seminary. And boy, I like I love those people. I, I have deep love in my heart for those people. I would not be the minister for them in this season. <laughs> like I have changed in such a way that there are other people who would better serve them. So I'm glad that you can kind of have this homecoming that, mm. um, that fits you, you know, that you don't yeah. feel like you're returning to something that doesn't reflect your growth. Yeah. Yeah. It's, um, yeah, no, it's really nice. So I, um, I had a short list of congregations in Adelaide that I was pretty certain from knowing them that I could, that I was looking out for. Um, so about a year and a half ago, I had kind of, you know, COVID and a whole lot of other things um, had got me to the point of um, thinking that I wouldn't uh, continue longer term in my former placement. And yeah, this was this was one of the churches that was on that short list of places I was looking for to come home to. Yeah. Yeah. I like that. As Ian and I think about what, what we want to do in life, you know, like there was so much of 2020, 2021, honestly, 2022, that was, how do we just exist? You know, wants are kind of out the door. How do we pay the bills? And as we kind of re reclaim that freedom to make our own shortlist of like where we want to be and what we want to do, boy, there's so many closed doors along the way, <laughs> you yeah. know, and it gets, it gets to you after a while. But I love hearing stories of people who are like, you know, that was on my list. This is where, this is where I wanted to be. It's nice. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, I say that there was an awfully long and difficult year of waiting between <laughs> finishing the last thing and and this coming about. Um, so sometimes, you know, it's it, it is a hard journey to get there, isn't it? You know, um, and lots of closed doors in between. So, yeah, yeah. My sister um, has observed that, you know, I will often in life land on my feet, um, but I feel mm. like this time. I picked myself up and got back on my feet, but I didn't land on my feet. I, I f well and truly fell over. So, yeah, um, different season, but I did get up and find a place again. So, yeah. Yeah. I, let me ask this question, and if you're like, that does not compute at all, we'll go to another question. <laughs> but when you find yourself in um, – in a place that you have hoped for and waited for and worked for, how does that intersect with your, your sense of your spiritual self and your sense of God? Because I have worked so hard not to feel like I must be where God is leading me. You know, that kind of very prescriptive God has a plan and you have yep. to follow God's plan. So what is it like after a difficult season to be in a place that you're truly delighted to be? Um, do you feel like God led you here? Do you feel like the spirit worked in this or how, do, like, how does that work for you spiritually? 
Um, yeah, it's an interesting one because I, I resist also any kind of uh, language or idea that turns God into a puppet master or, um, mm. yeah, like a, a game, you know, Dungeons and Dragons game kind of sort of setting yeah. the rules and, you know, like for me it's more um, the surprise and delight of um, what will flow or what I can find or what what I what I can be open to when I trust the spirit and mm. the movement. You know, if I'm aligning myself well with uh, the sacred, things flow or I'm in the flow of things um, in a way that is rich and surprising and delightful and, um, you know, I could – so I applied for a, a job um, end of last year, and it took it took a long time to to work it through with all the interviews and whatnot, and I didn't get it, and I've ended up um, with a balance of, you know, I'm embedded in a congregation and I'm teaching alongside of that, and I've got room to do some of the other creative stuff like writing and retreats and speaking and stuff, and I think that's going to be a really life giving. Um, balance for me and a you know a, a good way forward but I had this idea that this other job was going to be that for me and it was going to be better financial security and you know it was all contained in one job and so I could look at that and go oh well God had better ideas for me maybe sure but, but to me that disempowers the people who were doing the discerning for you know the people they had in front of them and who who they wanted to bring into the mix for that that particular context and how I might fit in that. Um, and, and it disempowers me from that sense of um, exploring my options and doing the discerning as well. Um, so it's, yeah, I think it's more about, you know, our disposition and our posture and, mm. and that, yes, there's a synergy that, um, yeah, as I say, aligning with the spirit and letting go and trusting, it's not that I'm trusting God to move the pieces for me. It's mm -hmm. more that I'm, I don't know, it's a bit more Star Wars and Jedi and, you know, being in the force. It's yeah. a bit more like that, <laughs> which might be yeah. heretical, but I don't really care. <laughs> it's a story that works. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. No, the two kind of metaphors that came to mind for me were um, learning how to like dance in the rhythm that God is laying out, yeah. you know, yeah. like learning those steps or learning how to surf, you know, learning how mm. to stop fighting a wave and learning how to ride a wave. Yeah, um, yeah. they're nice images. Yeah. Yeah, that I I have been thinking a lot about how God chooses over and over again to work with us and not yep. completely in spite of us. And I think that makes that makes it easier for me to think about this. Is this something that like both I have learned how to do and that fits in with like the greater song that God is writing? Yeah. Right? I, yeah. yeah. 
I can get behind that more than uh, what is Jeremiah twenty nine eleven. I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. Yeah. Um, yeah. 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 Interesting. Yeah. I wrote so, a poem once called Surrender, which is like, um, uh, <laughs> how pretentious I've it? got my, uh, yeah, I've got my book up here on my thing. Um, it would be in the biggest book that I have. So it's just harder to find. <laughs> okay. So. Um, surrender. I make a choice to step into the river, bubbling, tumbling, calling, calling. Listen, come with me. The water isn't deep where I have chosen to step into the river and I can stand steady on my own. Ripples splashing at my shins, gently coaxing, come a little closer. The water is enticing and my confidence increasing, so I choose my direction and take another step a little deeper. The river's flow is getting stronger, standing that much harder. The water tugs at my legs another step and it laps around my waist. Standing in this river, its invitation roaring at me now, I cannot stay. Gratefully, suddenly, I surrender. Enter the river's fresh embrace. I lose myself and found in the life flow of the river. I love it. I love it. If that's in a book that we can like link to, let me know and I'll put it in there. Sure. Yes, it is. (laughs) Yes. I love that. I love, I love the idea that like surrender is not something forced on you it's something that you are called into that you Mm. choose to do it's the difference between like getting getting sucked underwater and coming up and being exhilarated versus flailing around for your life you know yeah 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 the kind of it's that it's that mutuality of trust and self-giving right um that that recognizes the gift of god opening god's self um in that vulnerability that we could reject God. Um, yeah. But the, the, the more um, value in that vulnerability and giving us the choice to surrender, to give ourselves in return, you know, is that it is a choice and it's, um, it's got meaning and value in it. Um, whereas if God was a puppet maker and we were just doing God's bidding, um, where's the value in that for the divine they don't mm. they're not loved that's not love um so it's it's risky and it's vulnerable but it's not you know we talk I, I remember in my childhood um you know in church circles surrender was talked about um almost in a way that um was disempowering to the one surrendering and it wasn't it wasn't a mutual surrendering. We were surrendering to this powerful God who was Lord and Master and rah rah rah. And I'm like, I don't, I just don't know that that's the the deeper I get into the picture of God and and sit with the sacred, paying attention. That's not who I understand the divine to be. They're making themselves vulnerable um, and asking us to be vulnerable with them. So it yeah, it changed my understanding of what surrender is. Yeah. Yeah. I am uh, remind me that I want to come back to surrender and vulnerability and the letter to the Romans at uh-huh. some point, but we're going to sure. put a pin in it. Okay. Uh, <laughs> I'm going to yank us from the spiritual back to the very practical. Uh-huh. 
So you have a part-time ministry appointment. You are teaching. You are also mm-hmm. writing and doing creative things. Yeah. Um, and I have found that the work that is available to me is also a lot of part-time things and cobbled yeah. together. Do you think that that is the type of work that you will be doing for the next foreseeable future? Is that what you see ministers really having to do? Or is this a dip? Um. Yeah, I think it's both what more and more ministers will have to do. And I think it's, I'm getting a sense that this is what is life-giving for me, you know, particularly because I'm such an eclectic person. Mm. Um, uh, that, you know, one of the frustrations I had, and I don't know whether I talked about this last time I was on your podcast, but one of the frustrations I had in my last placement, I was getting so caught up in uh, the administration and, you know, the day-to-day stuff of a big congregation, big complex congregation, Mm -hmm. that I was losing the freedom to be creative. Um, There was still opportunities to be creative in terms of crafting worship and liturgy and um, sermons, Um, but that it, that started to feel quite limited and limiting so that was a frustration so and this is what this is what i'm appreciating about you know this very long and frustrating um season of waiting for the next thing to unfold has actually you know finally i found myself in a place that i think is is right um the the being embedded in a congregation. I'm so I'm a solitary person, but I'm solitary in community. So I need that community, and I really do know who I am when I put on figuratively or literally an album stole. I just mm. that's I know who I am, and I know where I am. And then to have these up the freedom alongside of that, you know, the, just a bit of space. Um, to where I'm not expected to turn up for the congregation um, and I can go and teach and explore that, which is taking me back into translation and performance and a whole lot of things that I've neglected for a while. Um, And, you know, when semester's not on or if I have a semester when I'm not teaching, uh, I'll have space to do some writing and I can still craft liturgies. I think, yeah, so I think it's life-giving for me. Um, and then the question for the rest of the church, I think, yes. Um, so the conversations I've had with people in the last year, when I resigned and didn't have a job to go to, I was talking with a lot of colleagues about what's possible for me. Where could I work? What can I do? Um, where does the church perhaps need me? Uh, and uh, as per usual, I was a bit ahead of the curve. Um, cause now that I'm making my own way, you know, people are exploring, um, what does it look like for us to have ministers who might be available to a, a number of congregations? Um, so mm. ministers who perhaps have some specialties and a, a pool of congregations and a pool of ministers to actually go, okay, so these congregations need some preachers and worship leaders. They can do the rest of church, but they need people who can help them keep their gatherings going and that's all they need for ministers. So you've got a couple of ministers who can be assigned over there and they can help those ones with that because their specialty is preaching and liturgy. 
or we've got, you know, a couple of congregations who well, I've got, they've got really strong um, lay preachers and worship leaders, uh, but actually um, their discipleship, um, ongoing discipleship and Christian education needs a bit of work. So where's the educators, you know, who, who can lead those studies? So, <clears throat> or if, you know, there's some missional opportunities, who are the ones who've got some really, you know, strong, interesting experience and expertise in helping a congregation build their relationships with the community so yeah so I think it's going to be not just the ministers are having to kind of cobble together some part-time stuff but actually how does the church work with us to do that um yeah and make the make the most of our um diverse um capacities to better resource congregations rather than you know I think that's a better model than asking a minister to kind of do a part-time placement here and a part-time placement here like put two or three congregations together and you've got to be everything to all of them you end up doing three full-time jobs on one full-time stipend so uh, I think it's a challenge I also think it's an opportunity for for the places where we've got enough energy and capacity to imagine and try something new um yeah Yeah, I mean, I think every congregation ends up um, making up for where their minister doesn't have those gifts. Yeah, you know, every congregation, if a if a pastor is very good at preaching and very crap at administration, they they hire an administrator because that's what it is. Yeah, Um, it's funny to me, not funny. uh, What I observe in the United Methodist context in the United States is that uh, the pastor has to be a good preacher and a good worship leader. And that's, that's the thing. And if you are bad at that, like best of luck to you, because your church is going to dislike you. But you could be (laughs) amazing at pastoral care and a great administrator and have great visions about where the church can be and how to get them on that path. But if you can't like stand up there and get people's hearts to be moved on Sunday morning, you're not going to do it. And that's not fair to people who have incredible skills yeah they just aren't preachers yeah yeah in the uniting church we um a lot of our um so we have a number of different specified ministries two of them are ordained and um there's a number that are um or then we have a the um lay pastor um so we have ministers of the word and deacons um Mm -hmm. and our those who are called to the ministry of deacon are often less likely to be um, called, gifted, excited by preaching and worship and more interested in um, the pastoral care and or, um, you know, relationships between the church and the world. Um, so, I, and I like the way that we've actually built that into our ordering of the church that, that we have specified ministries that um, honour the, those the nuances in those calls because actually if you look at the statements for a service of ordination and what um, what a minister or a deacon is um, asked to say yes I'll do this it's exactly the same list there's two things that are switched in order and that's the 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 life of the congregation and the relationship of the congregation with the or the church with the world. Just slight switch in priority, really. Um, yeah, yeah. So, yeah. So there, and it's not like you know, in Catholic or Anglican circles where you're deacon and then 
and then you, you know, get ordained, and, that, yeah. and then priest. Um, it's not a hierarchy; we're actually equal. Yeah, that's uh, what the United Methodist Church would like to say that we do. <laughs> that uh, on on paper, deacons and elders both ordained, both equally called by God. In practicality, um, if somebody they think is not elder material, they'll be like, "You want to be a deacon?" Or if somebody mm-hmm. really feels called to diac- diac- being a deacon in ministry, they'll be like, oh, "But you sound really called. Are you sure you don't want to be an elder?" Like mm-hmm. they, we, um, it is just so ingrained. And we've recently made the switch to having these two different orders. But it is so ingrained that like being an elder is the peak of discipleship. And like, that's not what is on, that's not what's in the discipline. That's not what we say. It is what we do. And that can be really frustrating uh, to people like me who um, need to be at the top of any race to the top, which is what discipleship gets turned into when you go the mm. ordination track. Yeah. So knowing that, thinking that um, this is a more philosophical question and then we'll We'll pivot a little bit, mm-hmm. but knowing that you need laity supporting the ordained person, regardless of what they do, um, and that laity can be just as gifted, if not more gifted, than the ordained person, mm-hmm. and that the ordained person is not doing this full time for a living, what's mm-hmm. the function of ordination? Why, why are we still ordaining people? <laughs> There's another conversation I've been having a lot lately. Uh there's something about <clears throat> the the order, the ordained ministers, that is about our being rather than our doing, uh, mm. that we are called to be a particular presence in the church. Um, and it has it has such um, such a risk in the language you know that we use for it that is so easily turned into um the hierarchy that we're better than mm-hmm. um but it's i think it's it's calling those who have a particular disposition and um yeah it's a disposition it's a something about who we are that that we can be available to the people that we can hold the people mm. whether it's whether it's in preaching or pastoral or you know relationships in different ways but we are present with the people as a way of um helping us all in our discipleship um mm. where they're we're actually you know it, it it while it looks like it can be you know, we're better than, we're the best disciples, so we're going to show you how to do it. Actually, we're not at the top of the tree. We're at the we're at the bottom. We're we're here to serve. We're here to empower and equip all of us to be doing what we're doing out in the world. Um, and we're called in from doing anything else in the world to equip everybody else to do that. Mm. Um, so it's actually I think it's been I think it's been flipped a bit. Um, unhelpfully um, that within the church we're in some sort of hierarchy but actually can we understand what the purpose of the church is better which is to be sending disciples and witnesses to the sacred out into the world 
And actually then we need some people who are set apart from that themselves to be equipping the people who are sending, who are sent. So it's actually the ones who are sent to, if there's a hierarchy, they're the ones who are doing the job um, that, we're, that yeah. we're all called to do. And we're back here um, helping everybody else to do it, um, which is difficult to talk about. And it's, you know, it's, it's hard to avoid the connotations of who's better and who's not, but it's just about distinction, isn't it? You know, that, yeah that where we have a particular role and a particular um, charism that is neither better nor worse than others. It's just particular. Um, and at its best, the, the, the calling of Paul into, um, you know, the giftedness of the spirit, it's into the gifts of one spirit. So the gifts are all equal because they all come from the one spirit. And we need the diversity to weave a strong community um, because not one person can be all things. Um, so, yeah, and I, I think we can see that within the church and beyond it that we've got, we've lost any capacity humans ever had, if we ever had it, to celebrate our differences as giftedness to each mm. other Um rather than, you know, this constant striving for, well, I've got to be better, I've you know, who's better than me and who's, you know. No, no, we're actually better together. Yeah. Yeah, well, that, there's a big, I don't know if it's a big flip, maybe it's a big flip from the early church, that what you do as a Christian is you go to church on Sunday yeah. and that's the only thing you do. And if that's the only thing you do, then, of course, like the minister, the ordained person is the most important person. Yeah, yeah. But that's only when you have misunderstood the Christian yeah. life, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I'm here for all that. I thank mm. you for that. That helps me, helps me think through it again. I like to, in my brain, being ordained as being part of their nice little club. But really, <laughs> it is we're the people who are called to help others be better Christians, yep. to then go out and live the Christian life. Um, yep. So knowing that... Um, Knowing that your call is to be a servant to a congregation and to empower and equip a congregation, who is empowering and equipping you? Who is helping you as you do that as a pastor or a part-time pastor? Um, in some ways, not who I was expecting. Um, Ooh. Uh, or the people or the structures I was expecting to do that have let me down, um, mm. you know. A couple of years ago, I would have said it's it's the the church and the structures, and there are um, people in roles who are um, you know designated pastoral care and and all of that. Um, but the structures let me down uh, in recent years, and uh, the church as an institution has let me down, and that's been really disappointing. Mm. Um, so there's another. This is another conversation that I'm having, um, and I. A colleague of mine was saying, so we're an order. Some of us think of us as, as an order because we're ordained. But actually we're not like other religious orders um, who have a rule of shared rule of life or a common prayer life or anything. And and he was describing a yearning for that. And, mm -hmm. and I've been pondering that ever since that conversation. Um, and I've had conversations with a couple of other ministers in the meantime and and I'm wondering if, you know, it won't necessarily be 
something that everybody in the Uniting Church order of ministers and or deacons joins. I think I actually think deacons uh, have a better connectedness amongst each other and collegiality from what I've seen. Um, but I'm wondering if if maybe we could gather a few of us together and be that for each other. Um, yeah. you know, have a have a shared prayer life and worshiping life and that is for us, not us leading holding the community so that we're holding each other. Um and in the meantime, I'm held by my family and uh, friends and colleagues. I've experienced a real uh, gift of some of the longer-term networks. Um, so I moved back from Canberra to Adelaide last year and Adelaide is where I grew up. So there's, you know, 30-plus years of being embedded in the Uniting Church and building friendships beyond that and um, some of those networks absolutely caught me when I fell um, last mm. year, um, you know, the practicalities of offering me work to do, um, the teaching and the writing, you know, that was from people who had travelled with me a long time um, and valued what I could offer. Um, so, yeah, so individuals within my networks, that's that's what's held me. Um, but, yeah, I think I'd like to be part of helping the institution to hold its ministers better. And I think that that comes back to our our diminished understanding of both who we are as church, as you articulated it, you know, that we're not here for our gathering in, we're actually gathering in for our sending out, you know, we you know, it's not about worship on Sundays. And also that we don't we actually really don't understand who or why our order, our ordained ministers, um, we, we don't have a, a healthy understanding of that. So how can the church hold us well? And, yeah. and you can see a lot of church, a lot of ministers, the more more conversations I have, the more I'm seeing that that lack of understanding is leading to some really poor behaviour um, and, mm. and really unhealthy treatment of ministers. Oh gosh, I have I have seen that every which way from Sunday. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Oh, and it's hard. It's it's also hard because I feel like our like from generation X onward, we are done putting up with the poor mm. the poor treatment. Yeah. Yeah. We're less likely to be company people for a denomination because it's they ask you to do too much and they treat you like crap while you do it. Yep. And now your spouse has to work in most places if you have a spouse. Like yeah. it's just not financially doable for you to be fully supported by your spouse yep. in order to do this ministry. You like it's just a different world. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. And we've been very slow to respond to the the changes um we've buried our head in the sand i think um across yeah. the board as church yeah and thinking that like god will just raise up people who are more willing to be more self-giving and that's not the issue you know <laughs> right <laughs> speaking of financial realities do you it's another multi-pronged question that you can take mm -hmm. in the direction you want do you feel like ministering part-time and not having the security of a full-time income impacts your ministry 
And um, are you worried about other sources of income drying up or changing and that impacting your ministry? Yes. Um, Not to put money anxiety into a podcast on the public internet, but. Oh, no, that's all right. Uh, It's a question I've been pondering um, because I'm shifting from like real financial insecurity to greater security than I've had in the last year. But I still, so I actually haven't haven't started my new placement. I start in August, um, but I have been doing another part-time placement um, in supply for the last couple of months. So I'm sort of getting a taste of uh, what my finances might look like. Um, and it's not as much as it was on a full-time stipend, to be honest. Um, and possibly not as much as a full-time stipend in another synod um I think there's slight differences I think I was probably in uh I don't know I don't I actually don't know if it's got parity yet across the country um but yeah so there is a sense of I'm I'm not sure what my financial situation looks like um going forward and a sense of some stability but yeah there's insecurity and I'm not sure how that impacts my ministry directly, but it certainly impacts my health. Um, mm. So, you know, I developed chronic fatigue syndrome after incredibly stressful years doing a PhD overseas without a full scholarship and having right. to constantly um, seek sources of funding in order to keep finishing the PhD. And that stress just wore me out. So I'm aware that when that financial stress comes back, the chronic fatigue worsens. Um, Other sources of stress do it as well, but um, that's a particular trigger for that. Um, So it's a matter of well-being for me um, to make sure that I've got uh, some financial security um, and, you know, having put myself or been put in a situation where I didn't have it, uh, it, it did impact my health for the last year negatively. Um, so I think that's also part of the challenge for the church in terms of, you know, uh, acknowledging the reality that, yep, we're going to have to do ministry differently. We're going to have to use our ordained ministers differently if we want them. And this sense of like part of the disappointment for me was I, so I made these vows um, and mm-hmm. and commitments to be accountable to the church when I was ordained. And my understanding of that was that it was a mutual accountability. Ooh. But the, there actually isn't terribly much mutual accountability really. Um, if you're yeah. not in placement, I wasn't in a placement last year. There was no help available for me financially. I, I was on my own. Um, and, and that caused me a lot of grief and pain and, um, stress. And I understand that, you know, the church as an institution doesn't have a lot of resources. Um, but we need to think more, uh, creatively about 
how we hold those who are ordained in particular, because we have a particular relationship with our order, what does that mutual accountability look like? And, Mm -hmm. you know, you were talking about how the institution kind of has this attitude of, yep, we just want you to do everything and be everything and give yourself and give more and more of yourself. Hold on a minute. We can't keep doing that and be effective in ministry because we're not going to be well. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I think I think the financial side of things is is really important, and we can't expect congregations to answer that question. We actually have to come together as um, as denominations or institutions or you know movements, you know, however we're collecting ourselves, um, and answer this question and approach the the response to this situation collectively um, because there are you know there are pockets of money around the church and there are there's there's resources in property we're not mm-hmm. stewarding the resources effectively you know we're selling it off here and there um, and getting quick money now but then what are we doing with that and how are we investing and the the greatest resource we have is our people and that's not only the ordained ministers by the way um, so how are we actually looking after our greatest resource. And I don't know that we are very well. Um, we're, we're much more, we've built structures that um, are self-serving. You know, they exist yeah. to keep themselves going. Um, and so our fear around, you know, the, the declining numbers in the church is, is a fear of the structures crumbling and the institution falling over. And actually, that fear is crippling us as a as a church. It's it's leading us to not be effective. So, mm-hmm. can we just let go of the structures and the institution and free ourselves from the burden that they have become? Um, and and. It's a challenge. You know, the Uniting Church at the moment has a national um, program of review on to do that, ask that very question. How could we restructure in order to better steward our resources and better equip our people for being the church in the world, which is what we're here for? Yeah. 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 Gosh, I'm always afraid when a denomination is like, we're going to look at how we can be the church better in the world. Because to me, they get caught up in a vision statement and a mission statement Mm. and never look at, actually, we've identified the problems already. Can we think of creative solutions to our problems, please? Yeah. Yeah. That that mutual accountability um, between the clergy of a denomination and the denomination. Mm. Um, Gosh, I don't when I left being a pastor, I surrendered my license as a licensed local pastor. Mm-hmm. Um, when I served as a pastor, my membership was held in the annual conference. Mm-hmm. And now who knows where my membership is? Ah. And I can do the work. I mean, I could poke around and ask around and see and get it transferred. If I were involved in a congregation, like I could do that. But I think it it shows this kind of profound lack of care yeah. that like, well, you're not here anymore, whatever, you know, yeah. nobody reached out to me until it was time to, to see if I wanted to go forward in the ordination process. Yeah. And that's, that's painful, right? Yeah. Everybody knew I wasn't leaving under great circumstances. Yeah. 
Yeah. Yeah. And if, and if we can't do that in small circumstances, right? Like it's literally, mm-hmm. if we cannot be faithful over a few things, yeah. how on earth are we going to be faithful over many? Yeah. 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 Ooh. Well, from, from out of the frying pan into the fire, <laughs> let's talk about um, being Christians who do work for other Christians for money. So <laughs> I know that you, you write things for people, mm-hmm. you do creative work for people, for pay and that you have to do kind of the entrepreneur hustle with that a Mm. little bit. What is that experience like? Do you have any cognitive dissonance around it? Is it frustrating? I imagine it's frustrating. It is. um, So, yeah, so I have a fresh experience of of doing that full time for the last year, really. Um, So I looked at having resigned from a placement and not with no job, no other placement to go to. I chose to look at that as an opportunity uh, to have another go at freelance. I'd always thought that that freelance um, storyteller, poet, minister would be something I'd like to do. And I've done mm. it in bits and pieces. You know, I did it alongside the PhD in Scotland and it's never really earned me a lot of money, um, <laughs> to be honest. Fair. But, I mean, it kept the wolves from the door um, during those PhD years. So last year I um, cobbled together things. I was retreat leader. I was writing, um, writing liturgies, uh, teaching. What else did I do? Um, storytelling, preaching, like a bunch of things. And the thing that I found difficult was I have an eclectic range of gifts and I was Mm. having to draw on all of them, Mm. Um, you know, to look for opportunities. I just, I had to look for any opportunity. And what I found that doing was that it split me. It, it, um, it was exhausting. Um, it was, yeah. I and and the the constant juggle of all the things, and then you've got to do the administration, and then you've got to do the self promotion, um, and then you've got to do the question um, with people of how much will you pay me to do this, um, yeah. and the constant like from just about everywhere in the church, the constant, oh, we can't quite afford that. Couldn't you do it for less? Yeah. Could you could you do it for less? It's like, well, how much time do you think I'm spending on this and how much per hour do you think that's going to get me? Um, so, and that's that's dispiriting and, and people don't realise, I don't think, how that that just diminishes you. Um, mm-hmm. your, your energy, your self, um, you know, and to constantly have to insist on my worth, uh, with a financial amount. It's, um, it's part of the reason I am glad to be going back to a steady placement. Um, mm-hmm. because I don't, I don't have to tout for business. I don't, I don't have to convince anyone of my worth for a monetary value. Um, I have a relationship with a congregation where they say, 
we recognize your gifts and skills and experience and we want you to bring those and accompany us on our journey with those skills Mm -hmm. and we'll give you this living great that's awesome um I find it really difficult um to do the financial management I'm I'm not sure I'm doing that well at all um you know and then you have to I also find I have to pay a lot of experts to do things. So I'm going to have to pay a bookkeeper or a tax agent or something to help me, you know, it's tax season here. So, you know, how do I, how do I do that? Um, And look at my books and have I done it right? I don't know. Um, I have to pay, I mean, I've got a certain amount of skills for website management, but, you know, I have to pay consultants to, to do some of the, more complicated back-end stuff. Um, so, yeah, and half the time the the money I'm earning with the freelance stuff is just covering those costs. It's not actually earning me an income. Yeah. Um, yeah, so that's really hard. And then it seemed like it was, a, it was just the wrong season um, last year to be trying something new, so I switched – Pray the story from being a free weekly blog post to being a subscription podcast. So I thought if I want to ask people to pay for it, I've got to give them something more. So I'll give them the prayer poems for each week and I'll give them um, it's in audio so you could actually listen to it and, and reflect that way. Um, and I had maybe a half a dozen people subscribe over about a period of a year. Mm-hmm. And watching uh, the SoundCloud track, you know, listens. Even the people who were paying for the subscription weren't listening. So, you know, in the end I've just gone, I can't. It was becoming a burden to compose it all because I've got all these other things that I've got, well, this isn't earning enough money, so I've got to go over here and teach and I've got to go here and write and that doesn't pay very much money. So you end up doing an awful lot more work because it doesn't pay enough um, and the, the the financial payoff, you you pay a cost in terms of your energy and well-being for it. Um because it's, you know, not enough people are buying it. You can't sell yourself well enough. You, you know, you've got to be all things. It's mm. bleh, bleh. Yeah. I don't think I'll try it again. Um, you know, I'll be available as a, um, you know, a retreat leader, a workshop workshop leader, um, you know, a speaker, but I won't rely on that for my main income. I can't, I just, I can't. It's too, it's too dispiriting and diminishing of myself yeah oh and even even if you were to find a way to make it financially sustainable usually what you end up doing is being a little grifty at some point you know you're charging people more than really what anybody could afford and promising more than what you can deliver and that's that's capitalism that's not christianity i feel Yeah. yeah Absolutely. Yeah. So I quite, and this is one of the things I like about being a minister in a denomination, in a church. So I like that exchange of, you know, you've got the the charism and the posture and the gifts of ministry and holding us 
we'll give you a living so that you can come and hold us. I like that. Um, it honors who I am. Um, it's fulfilling of who I am and it invites me to contribute to my community in a way that is life-giving for us both. Yeah. Sarah, this has been so wonderful. Thank you for being willing to dig into both like spiritual depths, but also just like how the practical impacts our spirit. You know, Mm. I think we aren't often honest about that and you have been very honest. So thank you. You're welcome. If listeners want to find you around the internet, if they want to support your work in any way, uh, where can they find you? What, what should they do? Uh, The most simple place is sarahagnew.com.au. So S-A-R-A-H-A-G-N-E-W.com.au. And you can find all things Sarah there. There's a shop. You can buy the book. The poem came from is on Wisdom's Wings. Um, Yeah, it's all sorts of things you can find there. Great. Well, we will. It's not like we make a lot of money from the podcast, but we will send our listeners there. I'll make sure it's the links too. (laughs) Well, Thank you again for sharing so much with us. And I'm going to sign us off. Oh, let me plug though. Uh, We're going to stick around for a mini-sode and uh, maybe talk some Romans. So we will see how that goes. So listeners, tune into that to see how much we succeed or fail. (laughs) But thank you again. And I'm going to sign us off. Friends, thank you for listening to another episode of What the Hell is a Pastor. We are Sarah and Joe, and we will see you next time. What the Hell is a Pastor is a part of the Disruptive Disciples Podcast Network. Our theme song is written by Joe Schoenwolf, performed by Joe Schoenwolf, Ian Uriola, and Paul Uriola, and produced by Paul Uriola. Find us across the social internet at WTHIAP, or visit us at WTHIAP.com to get connected to our Patreon, merch, playlists, and more. Thanks for listening, and enjoy hot union summer, friends! <laughs>